Uh, great to be with everyone this morning. Um, it's I uh, just want to say up front, it's a challenging morning for me. Um, I'm exhausted. I'm just going to just lay it out there and just be honest with you. Uh, at the last minute, I went ahead and changed the series that we were doing, uh, going to do for, for today. Can I have that first slide, please? Um, and um, because it's something that I thought that we needed um, as a church, but um, it's also something that I think I need, right? And so I think many messages are born out of that, right? Um, and so last night, after putting the entire the outline for the entire series together, last night I, I you know, figured, yeah, I'm preaching tomorrow, so I got to come up with tomorrow's lesson. And so <laughs> that's just a joke, guys. You guys are so quiet. Woo! Okay, and um, and so, um, but yeah, I was up pretty late last night trying to make sure that we, um, that I had something to say this morning. But um, I want to thank uh, Jesse for a great communion lesson, um, for being vulnerable with us. Uh, thank you, brother. Um, uh, definitely appreciate your heart. Um, I know that you guys have been through a lot and you guys are definitely an example of perseverance and uh, definitely appreciate that. I want to thank Jennifer for yesterday. Uh, thank you so much for, um, for leading our parenting workshop yesterday. It was super uh, life-changing for me and I know for others as well. And um, uh, definitely I, I I, I don't remember if I said this to you yesterday or not, but I think Jennifer is going to be our resident uh, uh, teacher, um, teaching us about just how to have great marriages and great uh, family. And so, um, but yeah, you're amazing. Thank you so much for taking your time to, to come all the way from California uh, to be with us and to, and to help us. Um, I want to welcome everybody that's visiting with us today. Um, uh, you are not considered a visitor. You're considered our friend. And so thank you for being here with us. Uh, thank you for uh, for joining us for worship this morning. As you can see on the screen, the title of this series that we're doing is The Space Between Us. Um, it's going to be a four-part series. And we want to look at some of the culprits behind relational strife. Right. We, there, there are many culprits behind relational strife. And, and, and we want to also look at what the scripture says about those things. Um, issues like jealousy, envy, pride, um, unforgiveness. Those things uh, put our spiritual health and our relationships at risk. Right. And so we want to take a good look at those things. And, you know, th those things also cause division and separation and keep us from living a true in a true community with God as well as with each other. Um, today specifically, I just wanted to I wanted to talk about the fact that Paul strongly encourages in the book of Ephesians to do everything within our power to maintain unity in the body of Christ. To do everything in our power, right, to maintain a unity in the body of Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer this morning, grateful for um, grateful for your love, your grace, your mercy, Father. I pray that this message will be your message to us, that this will not be just uh, my opinion or my ideas, 
but this will be your message for us this morning. I pray that our hearts will be moved uh, to better unity, Father, with you as well as with your church. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, you know, there's always going to be this potential uh, for disunity, right? And as disciples, I think we must constantly ask ourselves whether we are doing whatever it takes and everything we can to maintain unity. You know, people in the world, you know, and unfortunately, even in God's church, you know, live with this gap or space between us, right? Whether it's something that we talk about or it's just there, there's sometimes this gap in between us. There's a space in between us, right? And there are gaps that separate human beings and gaps, gaps such as, you know, backgrounds that are different, um, different personalities, different beliefs, different ideals. These things that differentiate us sometimes, they can cause this gap in between us, this space in between us that affects even our communication. It affects our love. It affects our relationships. And, you know, the difference can sometimes lead to conflict and strife as well. You know, John MacArthur, he says, this unity is a potential danger for every church, a danger Paul addressed to some extent in every one of his letters to churches. You know, as a minister, I come across this all the time. Right. I come across, you know, people having this gap between them or disunity in their relationships. And hence, you know, it fills up my calendar sometimes to to, to get together and, and counsel through this. And it's one of the things that I think is quite debilitating to us spiritually, even debilitating to me spiritually as a leader to consistently talk about these things. Right to to consistently get with my brother or sister whom I love and go through these things with, you know, with you guys, um, it's challenging. And so, what do we do about this? Well, Paul, I think, gives us the help that we need. Um, praise God, right? That <laughs> the help that we need is in the scriptures, and I think Paul gives us that. Um, and so, the first point that I want to really look at this morning is. The gap between us, right? Um, If you attend a service in the small Roman Catholic church uh, called Sanct Maria in Carinthia, Austria, you might find that the pastor has to pause the sermon for an unusual reason. A road runs through the middle of the church. While the pastor preaches his sermon in the sanctuary on the east side of a one-lane road, the churchgoer sits in a building on the opposite side of the road. As early as 1443, the martyr, a wayside shrine erected on, on roads and paths to encourage prayer, was built at this point on the former Roman road. At the time, the road was an important trade route from Venice to Salzburg. And the, mar- the martyrial grave, I'm sorry, the martyrial gave travelers a place to pray. 
1754, the roadside shrine was replaced by a chapel. And since there was not much space between the road and the slope, a chapel was built with a sanctuary about six feet above the road. The worshipers gathered on the street in front of the church. And so eventually a pastor felt sorry for the pilgrims who often stood in front of him in the rain and had a two-story structure built on the opposite side of the road, about 15 feet from the chapel. And so in this building, there are two rooms with chairs and benches. This building is also open on the, on the side facing the road and the chapel. And the open side of both buildings have wrought iron safety fences. You can see that there in the picture slightly. And so services now took place in two buildings. Two buildings. The priest stood in one and the congregants in the other. And he preached across the street. And so if a vehicle came by, he had to interrupt the sermon, right, while the vehicle went by. And so this is kind of like when the train passes back here. I know some of you guys are thinking that, right? Like, like the train is coming by. It's time for me to sip, a, sip some water. But, um, and so, you know, this happened more often until 1905 because up until then, the road had been a federal road. And so then the, the bypass road, which still exists today, was built. So it kind of alleviated the issue. And even today, local traffic still passes through the church. But the point of this is that the church in Austria is unique because it's divided physically. But the sad fact is that many churches are divided spiritually. You know, sometimes... You know, it, it, it hasn't gotten to the point where the church is divided so, uh, so much, but there is a, there's a certain space between the people of the church where, where the church as a whole may not be so much divided, but a few of us are as individuals. We're divided in some of the things we think about, right? Some of the things, how we, how we view God even. How we view each other, how we view our loved ones. We're divided in some of those things and how we make even decisions. You know, we see this in our even our family of churches. We're divided in how we look at some things. And I gotta say, guys, it's heartbreaking. You know, even in the first century, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that he had heard that there are divisions among you. In 1 Corinthians 11, 18, and, Paul, and Christ prayed that they may all be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see the ramifications that division has, right? That it can even have effect on those who are new to Christ. And so we need a bridge to connect us. We need this a bridge to, to connect us in our relationships and connect how we the fact that we are divided. You know, CNN 
told the story of Herman Parker, a master sir, a master mason who has found a unique calling in building bridges, literal bridges in Kenya. You know, one of the men who helps him is David Kakuko, whose parents drowned in a flash flood years ago because there wasn't a safe way to cross the river. And so I'm going to go through this article, but I'm going to stop in certain places because even just that is an indication or a good illustration that the gaps that we have between us and the spaces that we have between us can prove very harmful. Right? Because these people are trying to cross a river. They're just trying to get to the other side. And he lost his parents. They drowned because all they're trying to do is get to the other side. But because there's a gap, that gap, that space can cause harm. The spaces that we have between us can cause harm in our relationships. The spaces that we have even between churches at times can cause harm with our brothers and sisters. So the fact of the matter is, what are we doing about it? Are we just sitting around and just allowing that gap to exist, that space to exist? Or are we doing something to bridge the gap? What do we do, right? And so it says here in the article, before the bridge, there were so many people, so many who lost their lives, remembers Kukuko. He says, I know because I have no parents. I have no parents because this river took them. The article goes on to say, motivated by his desire to solve and obey Christ, Harmon Parker came to Kenya and proceeded to build a 45-foot bridge. They are simply designed with an average length of 120 feet and an average cost of $6,000. Not expensive. Not expensive to build this bridge that saves lives. And so he uses basic local material and always engages the people from the community to work and help contribute. So I'll pause there again just to say it takes a unified community to build a bridge. I don't want it to seem like I'm preaching my message from this article, but this impacted me. Right? It takes a unified community to build a bridge. It's not just one person building the bridge. It's a community. And I think in our churches, we need to come together to build these bridges. To build these bridges between each other and even, even in our churches. One of the things that I, I don't like to see is a disunified even region. We're in a region in the mid, in a mid-south or whatever we called it, you know, as a delegate team, but, and Georgia, because this is really not the mid-south, but hey, right? But then we come to, but, but we got to get together to build these bridges where we have closer regions of churches and close families of churches, and then even help our people to build bridges in their families as disciples of Jesus. The article goes on, according to CNN, the CNN article, he said, I have built many bridges in very remote areas 
for the few and the needy. But a larger organization may not, that a larger, larger organization may not consider. He says, knowing this bridge will probably save at least one life is what makes me tick. I build bridges because I want to save lives. Lives that I will never know about. Pause again. Building these bridges saves lives and has a lasting effect if it's built correctly. And I think even in our churches again, we have to build bridges that last. Regardless of how much time that takes. A bridge is not easy and a bridge is not quick, but it takes time and efforts and community. And when those bridges are built, it will last. It will last. Our relationships will grow stronger. Our church will grow stronger. Our region will grow stronger. But if we're not building these bridges and we're not doing what it takes... Guess what? That gap in space between us remains. Parker funded an organization called Bridging the Gap to help fund his work. And he has paid a high price himself in experiencing long periods away from his family, being robbed at gunpoint, and contracting serious illness. And pause again. What will you do to build a bridge? What sacrifices will you make to build the bridges that connect the space between you? Yet he says, I feel I'm blessed, privileged to do what I'm doing. A bridge is a beautiful metaphor for many things, he says. There are bridges of hope, bridges of peace, and bridges of life. To me, bridges are beautiful. Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. And gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You know, in the first half of Ephesians, the apostle has unfolded for his readers this eternal plan of God, which, you know, with its with its goal of summing up all things in Christ. And his direct appeal here in chapter four is is based on the foundation of they're being reconciled in Christ and made part of God's new humanity. You know, so this, this passage, it's an, it's, it's an urge for us to live out our call, focused on unity. Specifically, to live a life worthy of your call by keeping the unity of the Spirit. You know, if you buy a car, what's the first thing you do, right? What's the first thing you do? Somebody, 
Let me hear. What's the first thing you do when you buy a car, Drew? If it's used, you have it inspected. Amen. Anyone else? Test drive, Erin. Oh, that was your. That was your. Yeah. So you 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 know you sit down for an hour. Do you sit down and up for an hour and read the manual? Just bought this car. It's nice and shiny, right? And you're like, oh, this is awesome, right? Do you do you sit down and say, okay, well, let me let me get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and let me just read the manual here and just, right? Or do you at once get behind the wheel and go for a drive? Rev it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, you get behind the wheel and you, you, you head out, right? Enjoying all the things the car can do and not worrying about the details so much, at least for the moment. You know, I, I suspect that most of us give that second answer, that you just get in and drive. In the same way, it's notorious that when people buy a new computer, they tend to operate it first and read the instructions later. Imagine that. Right? This nice, shiny Mac, you know, what am I going to do, sit down and read? Yeah, how hard can it be? Just press on, right? Turn it on. See, the trouble is, of course, that things go wrong with machinery. Right? They may go wrong even quicker if you don't read the instructions. Right? Because we assume, yes, I know how to operate, I know how to drive, I know how to use a computer, but there's maybe something that you got to read in those instructions. But most people will at least keep the instruction book handy and refer to it from time to time to see how the machine was meant to behave, what the fundamental instructions were, and, and what needs to be done to ensure that it remains at maximum Efficiency, And I think in this section, which opens with quite a long, opens quite a long second half of, of Ephesians, Paul takes his readers, he takes them back to the fundamental instructions on living the Christian life. Very fundamental instructions is not complicated, and he reminds them how they began and what it is all about. And so what we find is that if God's love is so great, right? When we when we look at this, if God love, God's love is so great, if his salvation is so powerful, if God has granted such reconciliation as we are a church of reconciliation, that believers, believers and Christians, disciples need to act accordingly. We need to behave accordingly. We need to live accordingly. We, we need to value God's love enough to be shaped and molded by it. And to live in accord with what God has done for us. It is our response to God's grace to live in unity. And so this is the main command, I think, of this, of, of this passage that we're going to focus on this morning is that we have to live worthy of the calling we've received. Well, what does that what does that look like? Well, 
It looks like humility, <laughs> right? As the passage says, it looks like being gentle, being patient. Looks like bearing with one another. Looks like loving one another. Where humility and gentleness are both affected by our ego. That is a scary thing right there. Our ego can be scared. And our humility is definitely affected by our ego. The rest of these things may be affected on a relation, more relational level. But here's a problem. Our work for God is a blatant attack on our ego. If you're a Christian, you, you're going to have struggles with ego. Because we live our lives redirecting our interests and our desires. Our lives and our journey is about redirecting and changing what our interests and desires are, and that affects our ego. Our ego can cause us to put up walls rather than build bridges. Which one do you think is easier to, to put up? A wall or a bridge? Or build? Probably easier to build a wall. You're just stacking some bricks, right? Stacking some bricks and you're building this wall. And, and what we do in our relationships in our lives is that it's easy for us to go, whoop, put that wall up. Somebody says something we don't agree with, whoop, wall. Insults us, whoop, wall. A lot easier for us to build walls than it is for us to construct bridges. To fill in, to, 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 you know, bridges over that gap that is in between us, that space. It's a lot harder to do that. Because what does that affect? Ego. That affects our pride. Putting up the wall, we don't really have to deal with our ego that much. Putting up the wall, we don't have to deal with our, with our, we don't have to have humility. We just put up that wall. But to have humility or to build bridges takes humility, right? To connect us, it takes humility. Paul makes it a point to teach us about humility in so many of his letters. For instance, in Romans uh, 12, 3 through 8, we can turn there. Romans 12, 3 through 8. I don't have a slide for this one, but we all have Bibles. Praise Jesus. Romans 12, 3 through 8. For, the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In Colossians 3, if we could turn there also, Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, humility, it means like, it means lowness, lowliness of mind as opposed to haughtiness, it's supposed to be in haughty. You know, thinking low was the attitude of slaves, right? And was considered a negative trait among ancient Greeks. But the Old Testament and Judaism viewed it positively. So the best, the best commentary on this, on this attitude is found in Philippians 2, 5 through 8 on the self-emptying mind of Christ. Most, pretty much everybody knows that passage. But let's, let's think about, let's talk about gentleness for a moment here. Because Ephesians 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. So gentleness is a forgotten virtue, I think. I think gentleness is a forgotten virtue and we don't value being gentle anymore. Right? We just want to say it or do it. Right? But are we considering how it's received? Are we considering being gentle? Philippians 4 5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul mentions both humility and gentleness side by side to describe his demeanor. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, he says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you, went away. Now, how about patience? Right? Patience is also repeatedly present in Paul's list of virtues. John Chrysostom Um, In his commentary, he says, he explains this word from its etymology as meaning to have a wide and big soul. How awesome is that? That patience. It's like to have a wide and big soul. 
Patience is this is the exercise of a largeness of soul that can endure annoyances and difficulties. That your soul is so wide, it's so large that you can endure it and you can deal with the annoyance and difficulties over a period of time. That's patience. The longer phrase, bearing with one another. Let's get to that one, right? Bearing with one another in love. This is such a key part of this passage. It has less force than a more appropriate translation of putting up with each other. Putting up with each other in love, right? Bearing with one another. Putting up with each other in love. Our life as Christians is a life of putting up with people. It's just how it is. But putting up with people and this tolerance finds its ability and motivation in love. Like you got to love people to put up with them. Well, we got to put up with them. It's part of being a Christian. We got we to gotta tolerate each other. We do some silly things, y'all. And we got to put up with each other. We got to bear with each other. We got we to gotta tolerate each other. Galatians 2, I'm sorry, Galatians 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Putting up with each other, bearing with each other, tolerating each other, carrying one another's burdens. That creates unity. I appreciate a relationship where someone has the patience to put up with me. I'm telling you, I'm sometimes a lot to put up with. Thought I could tell you that. Right? Y'all laughing because you're acting like you know it's true. But love and putting up with each other are intertwined, guys. They go together. In our relationships, put up with each other. Love each other. That's how we value each other. I still and, and and spend time with each other. Have great times with each other. Laugh with each other. Sometimes you do some silly stuff that can be insulting. You know, sometimes you can just have a good laugh about it. It's okay. That's just putting up with each other. That's just bearing with each other. Just laugh and say, hey, you, you're a knucklehead today. But hey, man. You were a knucklehead yesterday, too. You know, just put up with each other. I stole this quote from from uh, from Jennifer yesterday. Laughter is the shortest distance between two people. So if there's that gap and there's that distance, have a laugh sometimes. Have a laugh and build that bridge. Now, Paul is not a naive idealist and, and doesn't assume that everyone in the body of Christ is going to naturally get along with each other, right? 
And so here, love does not amount to being compatible or or likable or warm feelings towards one another, but rather tolerating each other. Tolerating each other. Being able to say, you know what? Amen, that was terrible, but... All right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like... Some things we can just tolerate. We don't have to fight every battle. Some of us, we want to have the six-shooter, man. And we're like, oh, boy, you did that? Okay, we're going to handle this. It's like, dude, come on. Come on. It's just spilt milk. Just tolerate each other sometimes. And so after we build these bridges, right, guess what? we got to maintain the bridge, too. In Ephesians 4, 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirits through the bond of peace. We need to be zealous, guys, to maintain and value unity. You know, it, it, it's a way to, to easy, easily say that we should, it's easy to say that we should be unified. Right? But at the same time, Paul tells us that unity doesn't come from us. It's not created by us. Sometimes many of us say, okay, be unified. And we just think that it's something this person is just going to create. It doesn't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates unity. But here's our job. Our job is to maintain and value it. Do you value unity? Do you value building that bridge? Or do you more value just putting up the wall? What what do you value? A.W. Tozer says that unity in Christ is not something to be achieved, it's something to be recognized. Do you recognize the unity that you need to maintain and value? You know, we, we can do this through the bond that God creates, the bond of peace. In addition, Christ is the bridge that connects us. He unifies us and bonds us as believers, despite the differences that we may have with one another. Unity is motivated, guys, by, by theological oneness. What does that mean? Well, we see it here. And we're going to read it in a moment. There's one body. One spirit. So unity is motivated by oneness. What are we one in? And how, so, and, and how can we bridge these connections? Well, we can we can show kindness and respect towards one another. We can practice forgiveness and reconciliation. Being open to to listening and understanding one another's perspectives. But let's go ahead and read Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. It says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is convicting because Paul here is saying that all seven of these express the reality 
that there is only one gospel. They're not a whole bunch of gospels. There's one gospel, and that to believe that gospel is to enter into the unity that it creates. So Paul focuses again on calling. And so I'm going to jump to to conclude here. Um, you know, earlier in our society, enough people have this theological conviction to motivate ethical living. And others assumed that ethic without theology, right? So people assume this ethic without theology. In other words, what they did was they wanted to, they behaved morally when there was without theology back in it. But that doesn't last. And so now most most of us know that we know, you know there are a lot of people that know nothing about theology. And so have thus lost any basis of their ethical behavior. Where there's no theology, ethics is hard to accomplish. Being moral is hard to accomplish and even last. There has to be theology behind it, right? Rules never motivate ethical behavior, right? So you have these rules and they're rules that our community may create. And so we start to build ethics upon that. But then guess what happens? After a while, it stops. The ethics don't last. The moral behavior doesn't last. You can't. You don't really build conviction on rules. But awareness of God motivates ethical behavior that will last. And so, and so, yeah, we can say, "Oh, I do the right thing," and yeah, I'm a good person, right? But if it's just based on rules, it's not going to last. That has to be based on theology. It has to be based on an awareness of God. And, and all that affects our relationships. All of life is relational, right? Our lives are relational, even when we think we are alone in independence. We need respect and attention from other people. We can feel like, oh, I'm a loner. Right? But we still need respect and attention from somebody else. Even if we turn away from people, our abilities, views, and often our very existence are dependent on others. Christianity is a relational religion. And so this text that we have been reading, while not being a, a, a treatise of some sort on relations, says a whole lot about getting along with each other. That we have to be humble. That we have to be gentle. We need to be patient. Bearing with one another, putting up with one another in love. Right? In order to build unity. And so in in your relationships, you may notice that there is a space between you and somebody else. 
I want to challenge you not to ignore that space. Don't ignore the space and allow hurt to linger. Build bridges, not walls. But then make sure to maintain and value the bridge. The bridge has to be maintained, right? We don't we don't build bridges anywhere and then and then just leave them be. We gotta maintain them. And so one of the main, you know, one of the main characters, I think we do have some younger people still here, right? Haven't walked out on me yet. Um, one of the main characters from Encanto, right? That animated movie, um, Louisa. She struggles with this pressure of trying to, to, to carry the burdens of, of everyone in the family, right? And in the community as well. And when you, when you, when you see her in the animation, you're like, man, she can surely, she can certainly carry that burden. You know, she is taller than everyone. She is built. She is like, you know, just incredible looking. Like she could put the world on her shoulders, right? And so she's stressed out by the feeling that she is the only one who can save the day. You ever feel that? Like maybe it's just up to me. All right, how about your parents? You ever feel that? By the end of the movie, Louisa experiences joy because the rest of the family is contributing in more meaningful ways. Guys, it takes a community to build bridges. Each person in the body must strive to keep the unity so that not one of us feels isolated. All of us have a part in this unity journey. All of us have a part in building bridges, right? We can't just say, okay, well, you, Darius, you build the bridge, bro. No. Right? Oh, oh, Aaron's a great a great bridge builder, so let's just have Aaron do it. Like Robert, man, Robert Robert has the shoulders for some building bridges. So we'll just make Robert build the bridges. And the degree. Right? We can't we can't do that. We have to do it as a community. We gotta build the bridges together, or guess what happens? The space remains. And I'm not just talking about here in our local church. I'm talking about building bridges between here and Birmingham, in Nashville, Auburn, Tuskegee, Jackson, Mississippi, Atlanta churches. We gotta build these bridges, guys. Of course, we're gonna live with the space between us that is harmful for all of us. Let's love one another enough to do that. Like I said in the beginning, there's always potential for disunity. And as disciples, we have to consistently and constantly ask ourselves whether we are doing everything we can to maintain unity. And so let's commit to working together in unity and maintaining the bridge that connects us as Christians. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen.